Welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. And, and Bubba, this is a topic it has dominated uh, the big show uh, and conversations everywhere since 2020. Uh, I remember when it all started in pandemic. I remember we were doing the big show, and it was a doctor. If I'm not, if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong. Out of Canada, and we watched a video that Adler found, and he was warning of this COVID-19 virus that was coming, and uh, and it was really quite scary to listen to. And and of course, then it it, it went worldwide. Turned out turned out to be true. Didn't Tur- it? Turned yeah. out to be true, but. But the, the conversations that are going on everywhere, now sitting here uh, when we're recording this, it's 2023, and is what exactly did we learn about the virus? Uh, it, it, was, it, was, you know, it was new. Uh, we had not seen it. Now, we'd seen the category of these type of viruses, but not this particular one. We used the football analogy. We're familiar with the conference. We just got a new team. And the things we've learned about the virus, and then the one that probably is the most controversial, the things that we've learned about the treatments. What was effective? What was not effective? Uh, what kind of side effects can be linked? Uh, what, what is uh, you know, conspiracy theory? What is scientific? Uh, who's saying what? Uh, whoever's saying it, do they have credibility? Uh, some doctors were vilified, where other doctors were declared heroes, based unfortunately on how they saw it and what narrative that they were adhering to. So what we've done is we're going to kind of have an update on where we are now with Dr. Jordan Vaughn. Uh, he is the CEO of MedHelp, and he has uh, treated thousands of patients uh, that uh, tested positive of COVID nineteen. Uh, and he is here to have this uh, conversation with us about where we are. Dr. Vaughn, welcome to Rick and Bubba University. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Dr. Vaughn, real quick, give us the rundown of, of your pedigree as a doctor so everybody knows where we're coming from. So I'm a local guy from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, father is a physician, uh, but also previously an engineer. Uh, my dad made me, in undergrad, all the boys had to get an engineering degree because it was more important to know how to think and think critically mm-hmm. than it was to learn what other people did. Uh, and that's what engineering uh, teaches you. So I did chemical and biological engineering in Tuscaloosa, ended up medical school here in town, and then uh, went residency down at UAB for internal medicine. And then from there, really kind of stepped out uh, and was going to be or continue to be kind of the classic internist. And I mean, my father has a company. We, we see a good amount of people. We have about six locations. Uh, but I've never given up, uh, actually, and it's my favorite thing to do is really take care of people. I'm kind of interested, weirdly. Um, I like uh, figuring out things, and it's probably my engineering background. But that uh, that's really my pedigree, I guess. Um, you know, now it's even kind of weirder because I'm doing a lot of cool stuff with people in, in universities that I have, have been around longer than probably the U.S. Right. Um, and uh, it's becoming, uh, anyway, I'm going back into some weird academic world that really isn't located at the university here in town but at university of liverpool and oxford and manchester and stellenbosch in south africa and just a weird story how i got there would be the yeah so th- these are all scientists looking into these questions all over the world med help clinics uh, see about one hundred eighty thousand patients a year 
20 physicians, 200 healthcare workers. Um, so you, you've treated yourself how many patients probably during all this that with, with COVID? So, I, I mean, I probably have done about 15,000, um, and that's with my nurse practitioners and other physicians. I probably am outside of the hospital, probably the biggest uh, giver of monoclonal antibodies, uh, probably given about 6,000 of those. Uh, and again, that was probably even when you think about it, about a year ago. I mean, it, right. things have changed, and they've yep. changed in a different way because a lot of people now are suffering with the effects and the effects are really where I've kind of uh, started to kind of, you know, basically chomp my teeth into and be interested in. And the Lord's really opened up doors to get me in contact with people that uh, I don't know why they get in contact with me. Let me ask you this. Let's kind of start at what I call classification point A. COVID-19, it was, uh, it, it, it looked like it was part of the SARS family, if I understand correctly. And, but it was, five or six steps ahead of anything we had seen. Yeah. Did Just your opinion. Did it happen naturally? Was it man-made or manipulated? I don't know, purpose or accidental? What What's your thoughts on it? So, I mean, the evidence is pretty clear from the zoonotic reservoir that they could never find it in any animals around this market. So, you know, if you're going to have something that's evidently came from animals and you slaughter 30,000, you might want to find the virus. Right. Um, so... But at the same time, if you, you know, again, the beautiful thing about PubMed and medical research is everybody has access to it. Right. And you start reading and go, well, it's pretty interesting what they were publishing. And it has some, you know, basically some very basic genetic backbones, probably 98 percent was what they were messing with there in that lab. And so, again, I don't think we'll ever know for sure, because, again, I mean, when you're dealing with a country like China, I'm pretty sure. If somebody did know, I'm not sure they were alive anymore. But right. uh, <laughs> you know, several of them didn't fare too well. Exactly. Yeah, worked in that lab right after that. We kind of forget that. But yeah. Uh, so, uh, do, do you think? And and you may not want to answer this if you don't. That's just pass. Uh, I, I thought Dr. Fauci, and I know he's he's a genius and an incredible man on infectious disease, and has done all this work on a lot of causes. But I thought he was disingenuous and should have been transparent when this broke. That that grants money was sent to this lab from the U.S., which we don't do gain of function research here anymore because it was deemed too dangerous. Exactly. Uh, that 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 was being done over there. I think he he should have volunteered that information as opposed to it having to come out under oath and testimony against Congress. I felt like he was hiding that fact. And when you think back to it, I mean, think about how little the head of the CDC was involved, Redfield. And if you actually know their relationship, you understand why. Redfield was the one that basically, when this whole gain-of-function stuff started out of uh, kind of over in Europe, said, we don't need to be publishing this. This can be a bioweapon, okay? Fauci completely disagreed. And that was a, there's a good interview that uh, Redfield's done since he's been released from his CDC duties so he can speak freely, which, by the way, I wish the head of the CDC would still be able to speak freely. <laughs> and when don't right, we kind of right. want that? Um, but, yeah, I mean— the head of the CDC was not involved in this. It was it was the head of the NIAID, which is, you know, again, that's kind of seems like it'd be like, you know, sending the basketball team to a football game. You right, know, I mean, right. you know, I mean, they're both playing sports. But, right. you know, it, it, you would have thought it was him, but you could tell uh, by the way he literally didn't even have Redfield attend the meetings. Right. Um, the Redfield and him had a beef, and that beef was exactly over this issue. So we're in a worldwide pandemic. Uh, it is spreading like wildfire. It is killing a lot of people. 
Uh, it's something that most of us had never seen in our lifetime. Because, I mean, we all had read about the Great Plague, you know, the Black Plague. Um, and we're in full panic. The government's under pressure to do something, do something, do something. And the president at that time swung into action with the drug companies. A lot of money, no liability, get something done. And Talk get, about that and, a little and bit. And by the way, get something done what, for treatment? Or was the only solution a one peg stool right and so to me that was the biggest problem you're sitting there going well shouldn't we in the meantime be working on you know finding out if especially our pharmacopoeia that's already on the shelf maybe some of that stuff works you know it seems like a pretty reasonable thing to do obviously the drug companies aren't going to like that because they're probably not going to make a lot of money but it seems right. like if you care about people it's kind of a mass casualty event let's let's and try let's try to let's try to see if we can figure stuff out and, and what you mentioned which i don't think there was a lot of it being done we went back to the monoclonal antibodies which was a world war one battlefield uh solution they used to have for infection and and it showed a lot of promise so monoclonal is a little different i mean it's it's kind of mimicking what's in the lab obviously right. what you're you're talking about is basically okay. uh, you know basically using the post-infectious plasma and, right. and transfusing it right um and that yeah they were trying that and had work i mean again a lot of kind of foundational understandings. I mean, if they worked 50 years ago, a lot of them still work now. Actually, you know, our bodies are pretty consistent at right. the time. Uh, and, you know, a lot of things actually, uh, you know, we and the immune system itself, we know more about it than ever. But I think the intricacies of it, we still are daily figuring out. I would say kind of the last frontier is the immune system and the immune system's effects on the brain. So, a lot of times I tell people, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have thought that cancer was treated with the immune system. Well, it seems like if now we can treat cancer with it, you know, maybe we need to rethink some of the things we say about the immune system. Does that make sense? It, you know, and so, right. um, you know, that, at that point, then the other thing that was a problem, I think, is, is a lot of people don't understand what um, drugs are. And I, basically, they're molecules that act on mammals' cells. And by, by the way, we are mammals. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, yep. Last time we checked. Yeah. And just because one molecule does one thing, like is bactericidal, which would be called an antibiotic, doesn't limit its ability to do many other things. In fact, many of those things are what you call side effects, right. um, especially if they're evident when you, right. somebody takes them. But that's, you know, when you're starting to narrow drugs down to, well, that's an antibiotic. That, that only does bactericidal things. That's almost a misunderstanding of how, you know, basically our bodies and our cells work. And so that's what I challenge you. I mean, a lot of things we use every day, aspirin started out as a pain medicine, not something for the heart. You know, I mean, right. it's most medicines we use today probably started out for something completely different. Yeah, and you see that happen quite often. Like you said, we call some of those side effects, but side effects can be both negative and positive. Exactly. Yeah, because it might do something that we didn't know that it could do. So we come back, we're going to jump into, you know, like Bubba said, we're at this point, there's panic. There seemed to be almost a, 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 a vilification of treatment. And then everybody said, it's vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. This is our turnkey answer. This is it. It'll solve all of our problems. And then, as many people in your field said who weren't afraid to speak, when, when science becomes political, everything gets awkward. And uh, we'll come back and we'll talk more about that with Dr. Jordan Vaughn when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so life insurance. We're talking about life and death here today. Uh, life insurance, uh, a lot of times, can be overly complicated. 
Uh, you know, people want to try to get you to tie a college fund into it or some sort of retirement plan or things like that. And But really, if we were all honest, we really want to know this above everything. I just died, and are, is my family going to be taken care of? Uh, does my spouse uh, have financing? Uh, if my children are still in the home, will they be provided for? Um, well, Ladder says, let's get down to what really matters you have passed away before your loved ones. Are they taken care of financially? And with the latter, the answer is yes. Uh, and it's also a lot less expensive because that's all they're really working on. Uh, and, and they're 100% digital. There's no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. If you apply, now listen to this number. If you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, uh, you're not going to have doctors, needles, or, or paperwork. You're going to answer a few questions about your health in an application. It is amazing how quick they turn this around, and they say, all right, you want a million dollars? Here's what it costs uh, per month, and if you say, I'm good, they go, congratulations, you just got life insurance. <laughs> so um, it, it, it just you need a few minutes, uh, a phone, and a laptop to apply. Their algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. There's no hidden fees. Cancel anytime you want. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. And as old Rick and Bubba like to remind you, the older you get, the more expensive this is going to be. <laughs> uh, so make the move now. Ladderlife.com slash Rick Bubba. Uh, find out if you're instantly approved. Uh, that's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash Rick Bubba. No and in there. Ladderlife.com slash Rick Bubba. Dr. Jordan Vaughn is our guest uh, on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. We're going back and looking at the pandemic and trying to answer some of the questions that we have now. So it, it seemed that, number one, when looking back, and tell us if we're wrong about this based on your expertise, now that we know more and I understand about hindsight's twenty twenty and all yep, that, yep. It, it seemed when you had a death rate that was so low for the healthy, mm-hmm. okay, for the healthy, uh, the, that would be the young or just those that are healthy overall, no matter what age they are. It really was most dangerous to the the elderly or the immune compromised. Accurate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, typically, I mean, it's, it's elderly um, and then probably obese. Right, which right. Was called, but, uh, you know, co- comorbidities. Comorbidities. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. And uh, are immune compromised. Yeah. So um, I noticed you look right at me. When you <laughs> said that, Doc. Thanks. But, but what Appreciate I'm saying, that. what I'm saying is, <laughs> young healthy people, as far as having a death experience was very very low yeah it was it was very rare and even yeah. even now we're starting to figure out there are some kind of predilections or what i would call yeah. we call it genetic predispositions that actually i'm kind of working on with some people in in england uh that's really cool but uh outside of that uh, it had nothing to do with you know it, it, that thing you're born with and it's not something that's going to change so and you most people didn't even know it yeah and so but it's still overall that's a very small percentage of people yeah i, and, I can know in my own life the people that we had to bury uh, there's only one person that I was an acquaintance with that seemed to be extremely healthy, have no issues, and it did still kill him. Yeah. And he's probably in the category you're talking about. But but the others were either immune compromised, uh, had comorbidities, or they were they were really really older people. Yeah. Uh, and I but I know a lot of older people like my parents that breeze through it with really no trouble. But 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 we started the everybody needs to get the vaccine. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And it just seemed like Bubba and I've talked about would it have been better strategy to say let's try to get some sort of treatment which would include maybe this vaccine if we feel good about it to those that are at the highest risk and the rest of you herd immunity work through it you'll be fine treat the the symptoms 
And then when you get on the other side of it, we've got y'all over here in the immune category yeah. for a much longer period of time of, of 90 days. That was hogwash from the very beginning. That 90-day thing was yeah, hogwash. That, and that's where that smell yeah. test started to disconnect to me was uh, – and, I'm you know, again, I have a large organization, and I actually kind of uh, always am interested to figure out things. i got lots of resources to do it. And so I had about you know, a database of about 7,000 patients I had that had had COVID, and I have their antibodies. And I followed their antibodies every three months. They just doubled every three months. Not one of those 7,000 people ever had a decrease in their antibodies. And then on TV, Fauci saying, well, we know it goes away in three months. Now, I might just have the weirdest 7,000 people I've ever, uh-huh, I've right. ever met. Right. But it seems to me, I mean, this isn't one person. Right. This is 7,000 people. I, you know, there's a guy, George Mason, and, that we were trying to publish it. And by the, at that time, the whole... Omicron kicked in, which is Omicron's a whole different story. But um, up until then, I mean, it, I mean, you're basically that that's what mattered, whether you'd had it or not. And not only that, there are a lot of people that already had it. And so in that case, it wasn't a good use of resources. Uh, you know, that's one of the first things I did. If I was going to give the vaccine, I would test and see if you had antibodies. Because, right. you know, if this thing is so precious, why are we going to waste it? And, and, right. that's, and that's what it does. It makes you generate antibodies. So if I already have them, I don't need it. Exactly. And you can overdo it. Yeah. I mean, and, well, not only that, I, I, I would I would say my, my um, one of the first experiences when we started getting it is one of the guys in, in my clinic decided because he wanted to travel, he got it. And well, I mean, he was in the ER uh, within 12 hours with, you know, a heart rate of 220. And I'd knew this guy's antibody levels and i was like are you crazy right. and he goes well jordan i need to travel right. Right. <laughs> well that's I, what became awkward is you started being you can't do certain things if you won't take this this uh experimental vaccine yeah and and i think that's where and again this is also at the same time that um you know i'm a, as a physician hopefully everyone does this even now going to med school is i want to take care of not healthy or well people you know what i, I want to take care of the sick sick people right so all of a sudden in a time where all, we're we're basically, as a doctor, the coolest time ever to learn and treat and take care of people, we're told stay home and tell your patients to stay home until they can't breathe. Now tell me, right. you know, where in, and in, in what world that makes sense when we have rational kind of abilities to learn. I mean, you know, every microscope down at UAB should have been looking at tissue. Meaning, you know, I mean, this, this was an awesome uh, time instead it was well actually we don't want anybody to come here in the first 10 days well, the first 10 days would be an important time to figure this absolutely. out absolutely uh, and that's that's really what i started doing was i mean i was i was bringing people in when they were sick and taking care of them now does that mean i got covid yeah i'm a doctor i went to medical school knowing I mean, it's like, imagine a fireman that's like, well, you know, the one thing I can't do is get burnt. Right. You can't be a fireman. Right. Yeah. You know, smoke bothers me. Yeah. So that, you know, that, that was the crazy thing. And I think they, they, they scared the doctors. And if you remember back then, a lot of the stories were nurses or doctors dying or those kind of things. And it, they really did a good job of putting fear in a profession. And I, don't get me wrong. The profession has been a little bit sterilized. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't deal with a lot of things, but uh, that, you know, affect us personally. That doesn't mean that when something comes along that we, you know, should be out there doing, you know, it doesn't mean that once a fire's out there that's too hot, the fireman says, well, that one, I can't, I mean, yeah. you know. Well, I, I think not only, you talked about it got politicized, there was also big business, there was big pharma involved. Yeah, right. and, and I'll tell you my example. I, I, I spoke with 
doctor I have a very lot of confidence in. And I was told because I'd had it and had my antibodies checked, you don't need to get the shot. Let's check it again in 90 days, see where you are. And then once we see them drop below a certain point, we'll, we'll look at vaccination. Then was called back two days later, said, I want you to get the shot. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you, we talked two days ago. You told me something totally different. Well, we've changed our mind. Yeah, well, no, yeah, what, the, what the it science was, didn't change. The no, minds are changing. No, they, they got a memo yeah. from the boss that owns their clinic and the hospital and a bunch of hospitals, and they had decided somewhere right. four states away this is what we're going to do, and everybody get with it or else. Yeah. Is that and accurate? You think that the, actually— It's 100%. Ac- and I think uh, it, what you're exposing is really what the met, this thing, as far as a pandemic, did to expose the weakness of the, our medical system. Where our re- And the weakness is, is the independent ability of physicians to make good decisions for their patients has been completely compromised. Okay? I mean, I'm, I'm an independent physician. At 20 physicians work for me. But you know what I do by manage them? I let them do what they think the best is for their patient. Right. Okay? Because you have been trained to do that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it would seem like they would know the patient better right. than I do. Right. Okay? So it's not rocket science, and it works pretty well. You know, again, I mean, there's always rogue people somewhere, but it's, it's interesting to me that a lot of, I always say that there's a, you know, an octogenarian in Washington and hadn't seen a patient in 50 years telling us what to do. Right. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. And, and Doc, speak a little bit about our immune system because we, yeah. you know, we, we dealt a lot with antibodies. Antibodies. Your body makes antibodies when it sees infection come in as it's fighting that battle. Those antibodies, and I, the way I understand it, and you, you correct me, they fade over time, but there's a, uh, we call it the filing cabinet, where the body says, okay, if we see this again, we need to generate antibodies. T-cells, yeah. yeah. T- it's basically I, T-cell memory, but is that is that accurate? I, I, I kind of use the, the metaphor to say that imagine you're at a club, and the antibodies are kind of the bouncers. Mm-hmm. Like, they know that this guy don't look right, okay? Right. But eventually, that guy kind of changes up enough, and he'll he'll get inside the club, but then your cellular immunity is kind of like the CIA when they're like, oh, I remember this guy. Get right. him the heck out of here. He still might get in the club, but he ain't like changing the DJ or you, right. know, you know messing with the food or something. He's not like. going to be able to yeah, rob he, the place. He's going to yeah. be able to get by the ban- bouncer. So, yeah, the bouncers work really great initially, but then eventually you still got to have internal security, and that's what God designed us with. I mean, the a complexity of the immune system uh, is something that we are – just now really getting to the depths of. I mean, just think about the advances we've had in cancer treatment. They're not from radiation. They're not from surgery. They're from using our immune system. Wow. So you mean immunotherapy. I hear that term a lot. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, this thing is maybe not, uh, I always say, we may not want to poke the bear as much as we should. Right. You know, instead, let let it do let the we bear, don't even understand how it does that well yet. Let the bear go to sleep. It, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's 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 kind of how I look at it. And I think that's, you know, even cancer therapies 20 years ago. Who would have said you would take some antibody to get cancer control? You, you, we used to cut and kill. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Well, so, it's evolving. Yeah. And as we learn more about the immune system, and I think that's been one of the issues of this all along, is people have been led to believe no matter how unhealthy I get, no matter how many things I do that compromise my immune system, uh, I don't have to worry about that because there's a shot somewhere that will give me some magic immunity that will replace the immunity in my body that I've compromised by the way I live yeah. or, or by something I've got. And, and, and I think that's been the biggest mistake 
because I have I've shifted in my life to to I'm I'm focused on having a healthy immune system above everything, and and because if you get that right, it, I, I mean, mean God made a lot better thing than Pfizer does. Yeah. All right. We'll come back. We'll continue with Doctor Jordan Vaughn when Rick and Bubba University the podcast continues. All right, so Bubba, we are excited, and I know you know I'm I'm the beard guy, uh, you know, and you 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 you're clean shaven most of the time, but we love Manscaped's product, and we've been loving the stuff they have for our hair, and and but this new beard hedger that they've got in the Pro Kit, uh, I had to have one. I had to have one immediately. Adler, he got one. He's a beard guy, just like everything else that Manscaped does. It's designed. Uh, by men who know what it's like to actually have to take care of a beard. And the stuff that they have is really good. I love the hedger. What I like about the hedger, when you're trying to do the different trim levels, you know how you have to put the top on oh, and push yeah. it back? Yeah, the, now this one, now you just flip it with oh. a finger. And look, it moves it like this. Oh. And so that that that's really good. A dial-up guard? Yes, a dial-up guard. And it has multiple settings, and they have beard oil that is fantastic. Doesn't have any kind of girly smell or anything like that to it, but it keeps your beard soft. They've got a beard conditioner that is fantastic. Uh, if you want to kind of groom your beard to get it to look neat, uh, they've got some great products for that as well. Uh, so if you want to find out more, uh, join the 7 million people worldwide who trust Manscaped. Uh, and you go to manscaped.com. Here's the code I want you to use to get 20% off and free shipping. Use the term Bubba20 for 20% off and free shipping, uh, and you will love these products. And let me tell you, beard guys, you're going to love the beard hedger. We're back with Jordan Vaughn. Uh, he's, uh, uh, of course, a medical doctor with MedHelp. He's the CEO. Uh, and we're talking about what we've learned from the pandemic, and now we've been talking about immune system and, and we're about to talk a little bit about some of the treatments and, and side effects. Yeah, Bubba, I, you, you had a question. I, I want to get to the to the vaccine, and I know we have a big discussion on that. Prior to the vaccine, we had several treatments come out. Uh, update us because we heard studies they work. We heard studies they don't work. We heard this. We heard that. I, catch us up. Ivermectin, did it help? Did it not help? So it, it did, and especially it helped during uh, Delta and previous. Now, since Omicron, Omicron is actually a little bit different in how it enters the cell. It does it through endocytosis as, as opposed to a cellular-based entry with the TMPRSS, which who cares? These are, you know. Right. So, again, that, that's the but beauty. But up to Omicron, yeah, it helped. Yeah, but the beauty of, the, of our pharmacopoeia is that as the virus changes, the molecules that we might use might change. Does that right. make sense? So yeah. that, you know, it, it, and, and again, to pick one thing and say this will never work, um, it's kind of, again, a, a very elementary view of what we do in medicine. So ivermectin did help. It does. And it still does. I think it, it's interesting because uh, what it does. And I, I kind of classify medicines in different ways. And medicines that are really found in nature to begin with, which ivermectin was found in some dung heap in Japan. I mean, it's pretty cool yeah. uh, versus something that's made in a lab. These things that we find in nature a lot of times, they have, you know, effects that we just start to figure out because right. we go, this thing is amazing. And right. so it has secondary tertiary effect, what I call pluripotent usage. You know, when you talk about medicines we get in the lab, they're usually just, right. they, you usually do one dang thing. Right. That makes sense. And, uh, and so... You know, when you I, I kind of divide medicines up, you know, if we found this in nature and it, and it works, the potential is probably, you know, crazy. Right. Um, but if it's 
you know, if it's made in a lab, it's probably just going to work <laughs> for one thing. And so, there's not a wrong with either one of them. But, right, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, right. yeah. Monoclonal antibodies. So it, it works as long as you have the latest people exactly. who've recovered from the latest version, right? Yeah. So, you know, th- there's been a series of monoclonal antibodies. And again, that kind of goes back to even talking about the vaccine. It'd be, it was funny that we pulled monoclonal antibodies off the market. Okay? Right. Because evidently the spike doesn't engage at the RBD with these. But wouldn't that mean that the spike that is being produced by this vaccine also doesn't work for this new variant? And right. the answer is yes. Right. But we were quick to pull the monoclonals. Right. But we kept the same thing out. I mean, even the bivalent vaccine right now still has the Wuhan strand in it. I mean, right. you know, I hadn't, there hadn't been a Wuhan strand uh, COVID in two years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and doctors who said that, which to me was very elementary. Got you remember it was yeah. described like you described it as bouncers. He described it as playing defense, and yeah. you've been told to tackle the one, the one running back. But if I hand to the other running back, you go tackle the one. You know, <laughs> you've and, been and, tackling. And, yeah. and those doctors were vilified, taken off of social media. They weren't allowed to speak, and they weren't threatened saying, with board removal. They, yeah. Weren't, yeah. they weren't saying anything outrageous. What they were talking about is what y'all already know about spike protein. Well, right? yeah, yeah. And, and the beautiful thing about the current environment is. And my wife probably thinks I need a new hobby, but I would get up in the morning and read probably the, you know, there are about probably a hundred to 200 preprints that came in through the, the medical service from the whole world every right. morning. I probably spend the first four hours of my day reading it because mm-hmm. it was incredible. I got an addiction to it. Um, but people were trying stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yet in America, we only had one solution at a time where we're supposed to be having a lot of smart people working all over the world and are doing cool things. And that's what people were trying to get out. But there was a filter for it. That filter wasn't on PubMed. By the way, as a doctor, I know how to search the medical literature. And it was all out there. Right. The filter was what was filtering down to y'all through mass media. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then your kind of local Department of Health censors is what I would call them now. Yeah. I mean, these, these you know, things are set up to, uh, you know, in a sense, make it safe for the people. And the problem is, is a lot of people, I always use the example, you know, when you go see your doctor, you want him to care about you, you individually, your risk factors, who you are. You don't want him asking 100,000 of his friends to come in the room and see what you want to do about it. Okay, but that's what public health is. A lot of people are confusing public health from actual what I would call a patient physician relationship. And that patient physician relationship is a bond that it should never be broken. Because at that point, I care about you, and my obligation is to you. It is right. not to you know Alabama Department of Health. Yeah. It's, it's not to whatever company is is feeding me lunch. It's you know it, it's to you. And when, if you don't follow the two C's of medicine, care about the patient in front of you, and be curious about why they're in your office, you're not going to be a good doctor. So. Uh, do you have anything else well, in terms well, of the yeah. antivirals? I know yeah. there was two. They've both yeah. been pulled now. I think no. So Paxlovid's still out there, and Paxlovid. I mean, I, I did I did the phase three trials with it. I did it on only unvaccinated people because that was the way the trial was run. Which right. so again, that's an important point. Yeah, it's a, so it does work very well in in an unvaccinated population for Delta. But again, you're you're going back to the fact that. Okay, we have one solution, and we're so far behind mm-hmm. that by the time that thing gets out there and widely spread, well, Omicron's. I mean, you, I mean, right. it's it's uh, we're like playing whack a mole, and right. and just more and more of them are popping up, and so that's that's why we have to kind of understand that a lot of times, um, 
you know, you got to look at I mean, the other thing that really bothered me even on the vaccine was when you look at the vaccine trials, especially Pfizer's trial, you were excluded if you already had COVID. So my question was, how could I give you a safety and efficacy data on something you weren't even allowed to be in the trial of? Right. Again, if you've had it, you shouldn't have had the vaccine. We don't know. Meaning that they right. didn't, it hadn't been they, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't test that. But, right. but our understanding. But they told everybody they still need to get and that, it. And that's where, the, you know, I talked to a lot of my friends down at a, a university here. And I just said, hey, hopefully you aren't giving it to people, whatever. They're like, well, we are. I was, like, I was like, but have you read the trial? Like, how do you know the safety and efficacy data on it? And they said, Jordan, it's a pandemic. I said, well, that. <laughs> <laughs> What, what are you talking about? That still doesn't matter <laughs> that, one to one. Yeah. I don't. I don't care if McDonald's is down the road. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what we should be doing on behalf of our patient when we tell them what the data says. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. the vaccine comes along. We're used to the vaccines we had as kids. Once you take it once, you don't worry about it anymore. You don't have polio. You don't have whooping cough or whatever we had as kids. Uh, the uh, all of them they put in there in one of the shots. I don't remember all the names of it. But this this one didn't didn't that was promised to work that way, but it really didn't. And not only that, they knew that. We've been studying mRNA vaccines for a long time, and usually even the first phase one trials of these things usually take about two years. Right. And you know why almost n- none of them ever came out of phase one? Because at the end of two years, <laughs> the people who didn't get the uh, injection, who got the placebo, were better off. Right. Okay. So again, we've tried it. So if you actually looked at history, I mean, you know, even NIH had a paper about mRNA technology and vaccines and that they put out in 2018. I mean, this is NIH. Yeah. This is not some... And, and it, said, it, it said everything we everything that's been exposed. They don't work that long. Uh, there's issues with thrombosis and, and, and clot. All of that is in that paper in 2018. And you're just like, well, what changed? I mean, nothing right. changed. It's like, well, we got, a, we got an opportunity to use this technology. It's like, well, how about we... Figure the technology out before we, you know, give and, it and to it, the whole world. It showed a lot of promise because people were envisioning we're going to be able to grow nerves, we're going to be able to cure it, cancer, and and it and it had that promise to it, and it may still, it, but it, still it wasn't. Does. I mean, it's it, a, it, it wasn't ready to launch. Though. Yeah, well, I would say it's a it's a great thing to think that you could have the ability to give mRNA and then actually inject it into a let's say a gliomal cell, an abnormal glial cell for brain cancer, and then allow your own body to eat it up. Yeah. That's pretty darn cool. Yeah. But a 12-year-old doesn't have cancer. Right. Meaning, uh, you know, there's a lot of things we do in medicine that you got to kind of be sick before I say let's do it. Absolutely. All right, we'll come back, and we'll do our final segment with Dr. Jordan Vaughn when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so let's talk about Patriot Mobile. You ever feel like you're giving money to companies that seem to be standing against things that, uh, that, that you don't want to be part of? And you think, well, what am I supposed to do? I don't have any other choices. Well, when it comes to your cellular service, um, you do. Patriot Mobile, three major networks. This means if you're with the big three and, and like their service but hate their values, you have the same access to the same exact network, but you'll be doing it with Patriot Mobile. Uh, they also have a performance guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch between three major carriers, and you can do that for free. Uh, it's it's America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, nationwide coverage, the best 4G, 5G networks, so you get the same great service while supporting a company that might be fighting to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms, things that you would like to be 
associated with. So if you're ready to change this and align yourself with a company uh, that sees the world through the lens that you are more comfortable with, uh, then why don't you go to patriotmobile.com slash rickbubba. No and there, just put it together. Patriotmobile.com slash rickbubba or call them at 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. So Dr. Jordan Vaughn is our guest on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. We're going to have to get into this because we're not going to have time. Side effects from the vaccines. And, and, and people, there's a huge debate on this. There's people that say, well, the side effects you got are because you had COVID, not because you had the vaccine. And then you have some people that say, well, I never had COVID. I just got the vaccine, and, and now I've got problems. Uh, we're seeing blood clots. We're seeing his- issues with the heart. What what say you on what we know? So the the crazy thing is, you know, uh, around the time of Delta, I started using anticoagulants uh, to keep people out of the hospital and had a great success. Actually, there's a lady that uh, used to carry around oxygen concentrators in her car. I called her my oxygen angel. <laughs> and we keep people from showing up at the hospital because the worst thing they could do is get on a ventilator. Right. Okay. But we learned that anticoagulants are really important in the thrombotic stage of the disease. And then uh, one of the ladies I work with right now who's head of... Uh, uh, basically biological science at Stellenbosch in South Africa, she puts out a paper about 20 months ago that proves that the S1 subunit of the spike protein causes fibrin deposition without thrombin. And that's, we'll go back to that in a second. Now give us the English Okay, so it basically the, the, the thing itself makes you develop or produce the things that are involved in clotting mm-hmm. without the usual things that are needed. And then the thing it makes is resistant to being broken down, okay? And it happens primarily in the small vessels, the microvasculature. And interestingly enough, that's really where the last year of my life has been. I mean, I now have a three immunofluorescent microscopes looking at blood outside of Harvard, Yale, and uh, NYU, who only will do it for clinical research because Risha taught them, who's the lady in South Africa, Dr. Pretorius. I'm the only person that will do it. And but I've got the resources to buy my own darn microscope and, and learn. And the interesting thing is, is that S1 subunit of the spike protein, you might want to think about what the vaccine makes you make because it's the same thing. And that at that point was kind of eye-opening. And I will tell you that if you read Risha's paper and Jocko's papers, I mean, I, I've given it to a local vascular surgeon here, and he got on the phone with his grandkids and said, do not take another one of these. Because once you look at it and see the, the scientific evidence, you, you go, oh, my gosh. Because, I mean, you can't – I mean, uh, these pe- people are smart, and yeah. especially in the medical field. And when you look at it, you go, oh, wow. And that explains a ton. Now, you know, if the vaccine prevented people from getting COVID, you could make the argument that an exposure to this might be beneficial, but it doesn't. Okay, so in that case, the vaccine is not I mean, you can't you take a smaller dose of a bad thing Mm -hmm. to prevent the bad thing, but it doesn't do that anymore. So at this point, it's not you know, it it doesn't make sense. And actually, the NIH had a paper that came out this weekend that actually under direct uh, 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 microscopy shows that the spike protein irreversibly hyperactivates platelets. Y'all have heard of platelets, right? Yeah, yeah, They're yeah, involved with clotting. clotting. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, this is from literally Bethesda, from the NIH. Are they not talking to the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, aren't they on the same team? Yeah, it, it, it seems like there's, you know, I, well, first of all, I don't even know how it was allowed to be published in Nature, but maybe I guess people are starting to maybe line up and say, hey, we knew this all along. 
But yeah. the problem is, is, is you can feel a shift out there. Yeah, there there is a shift taking place, and I won't get into the details of it. But someone that that um, that I know that just passed away, unfortunately, in their mid fifties, even their doctor is saying now it was the blood clotting that that yeah. eventually caused her death, and, and, and they're tying it to these boosters yeah, and these vaccines. And, and that's the interesting thing. And actually, since July of twenty twenty one, we've known the thing that's in, important for your immunity is something called the nucleocapsid or nucleoprotein. And guess what? It's not thrombogenic. I thought these vaccines, you know, this technology, we could just change what's, what the body produces on a dime, right? Right. Well, again, but instead, I mean, we continue to push this thing that we know, especially in the other thing that I found in my research, especially in this subset of people that have a genetic polymorphism that's common in whites and Asians. It's actually called plasminogen activator inhibitor one. That's a really fancy word. But what it basically means is your your ability for your body to break down this fibrin, this clotting stuff, already sucked to begin with. Okay? And this makes it worse. And, and guess what? If you get a tsunami of it, the, yeah. it, your factory's not getting better to break it down. So how long uh Say you were vaccinated, say you were boosted. How long does this effect stay in your body? In other words, if someone had the vaccine and they're healthy, they've had no problems, do they still need to worry about this now? Or where are they at going forward? So there was an interesting paper a couple months ago that looked at what we call different types of IgG antibodies. And uh, the first two shots don't seem to cause an amnestic antibody uh, issue. We call it IgG4. Now, what, um, what is that exactly? Meaning it's almost like, imagine you, you go from having a hyperactive response to fight this to instead you're the beekeeper that gets bitten by bees all the time. Right. And so now when you get bit by bees, no big deal. You don't want that response uh, to, to creep up. But that's what the third or what we would call the booster shot from the mRNA has done. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing about the paper. They have no idea why this happened because it's never happened in any other vaccine in history. <laughs> Seems like we should answer that before mm-hmm. the next the fifth dose or the sixth. I don't, you know, right. you just line it Before up. Before we line up every school child in America that oh, had such a tiny chance of being uh, killed by this. Yeah. Uh, so you're the, saying the boosting, the boosting, the boosting is what has, and, has caused the most damage. Yeah, and, and the boosting was never studied. Right. I mean, again, they, they were so somewhat naive to think that, I mean, even Walensky herself in an interview said, oh, we didn't hear, we didn't hear about waning. Waning was something we'd never heard about. Right. I was like, you look at the 2018 paper from the NIH from the technology. It seemed to be the biggest darn problem. Like, right. shouldn't our you know head of the CDC be interested in the technology's yeah. history? Meaning, all of us, you know, I mean, when we in medicine, it's not mRNA is cool. Don't get me wrong. God designed mRNA. We're just kind of messing with it. Totally cool things we can do with it. So, but if when I, somebody if I was the says don't give it to children, shouldn't we have listened to him? I would he agree. wasn't against the technology and the research of it. He said, wouldn't give it to kids. Exactly. Right. And, it, and then he was run, run out on the rail for no. saying that. So, again, if I'm – let me ask that question again. If i am been vaccinated and I haven't had a problem with clotting, am I okay? Or do I need to still have that looked at or be aware of that or what? I know some people are treating some yeah, of the side. Yeah, so the, 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 first, the first issue out from that is that, you know, don't get another one would be my recommendation. And that's, right. that's my personal recommendation as I would give to my family member. Um, and patients. And, and patients, yeah. Um, that's not medical advice to everybody in the world, but you can understand. Right. If I was work. your patient, you would tell me, don't, if I've had one, don't get any more. Yeah. And, and if, if, you, if you had, had three, don't get a fourth. If you had four, don't get and a fourth. And if fifth. I had zero, should I take one? Nope. Okay. Again, I mean, now there's an interesting, but the other thing is, is, is that COVID, because again, these things didn't prevent people from getting it. 
the spike protein is what COVID makes you make it. And in fact, the, the Omicron COVID spike protein is not as thrombogenic and the fancy word for making clots. But the current vaccine still has the Wuhan spike in it. Right. The, I mean, again, the, the, tell me how that makes sense. So the current spike that you're getting with the vaccine is more thrombogenic than the current available one in nature. And back to your point on monoclonal antibodies, they pulled that one, the first one, because they said it has moved beyond uh, the range to fight this, but we haven't changed the vaccine. Exactly. So, again, that's cognitive dissonance, right? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that you can't have that. All right. We've got a minute and a half. If I'm in your I'm your patient right now, what do you suggest I should do for my health with knowing that this virus is still out there in some way, shape or form? What do you tell your patients they need to do? So the first thing is just, I mean, the more we learn about sunlight, vitamin D, eating right, uh, those things are very important. Another thing that we recommend recently is intermittent fasting. It actually, I actually kind of associate it with how probably God made us when we get sick, we don't really want to eat anything. But actually, uh, when you don't eat or consume anything, you're able to get rid of kind of the crap that's produced. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times there's a lot of other things that we're learning uh, with things like natokinase and seropeptase and a lot of these fibrinolytic enzymes that already occur in nature that really are good at clearing this crap. And I call it sludge, yeah, uh, but yeah. that's really what we're researching now at the microvascular level is we're able to reverse that. But here's the crazy thing, and maybe the silver lining of all this, is that's what causes chronic vascular diseases in the small vessels anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like medicine, for instance, it's like you standing in your shower right now and nothing's coming out of your shower head, Okay. You call a plumber and the plumber stays out in your yard and tells you your eight inch water main is open. You'd fire that plumber. Yeah. But what's going on right now is these patients are standing in their shower. Nothing's coming out. And their doctor's saying, well, what are you talking about? Your eight inch water mains open. Right. You know, and, you know, medicine, I think the next move forward will be how do we deal with the small vessels, the ones we can only see under the microscope. Well, Dr. Jordan Vaughn, thank you for being with us today. And Very interesting. We need to have you back. We sure do. And thanks yeah. to all of you for being with us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. This is the Rick and Bubba Show. Watch more at blazetv.com slash Rick and Bubba. Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba.